All right, welcome back to Morning Black. This is uh, Morning Black, Building Leaders and Cultural Knowledge. Uh, I'm your host, Greg Jones. I'm here with uh, Byron Martin and Zebediah Hall and Christine Hearn, who are all acting as engineers trying to give new content to this show. We appreciate all the support and help in terms of technical assistance. And here we are celebrating Juneteenth. Juneteenth. You're at WVLP 103.1 on your FM dial. We're going to talk about Juneteenth today and what that means to the African-American community and communities of color. Uh, so let's start off. Uh, who wants to start us off talking about Juneteenth? What is it? Doc, you give us a little bit first to kick us off and then we'll, we'll, we'll pivot off of you, Doc. Well, you know, since it started in Texas, I thought that was something that uh, uh, Byron wanted to do. Uh, basically, all the, the general information says that federal troops were sent into Texas, uh, led by uh, basically a, a soldier, a federal soldier named Granger, who basically enforced with troops uh, the emancipation of slaves. Uh, this was after the Civil War. And the situation was is that basically states were, were rescinding the Emancipation Proclamation. And so in order for slavery to be abolished in some of the, these southern states, the federal government had to move in and basically send troops to enforce that. So Juneteenth is uh, recognized as uh, June 19th, uh, 1865 is recognized as the day federal troops were used in order to free the slaves, to, to, to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation. Now, if you all have other information on that, please add to it. Not that I necessarily got other information, but I would say it's interesting that in 63, 1863 is when Lincoln signed it, right? And it's 1865. We're talking about two years later for right. Juneteenth, right? Uh, so just putting that out there, but I don't know if we necessarily celebrating it as much as we acknowledging what has happened and where we're at. I don't know if celebration is somewhat the right term, but I do want to be in space with black minds, black bodies and souls is what I would say. I would agree with that. Uh, given the fact that we still have people in bondage, you know, in the United States and around the world, I think that uh, it's it's been a um, problem in terms of how the federal government has enforced the enactment of the Emancipation Proclamation since its presentation to the community. So it's something that we've been ongoing, struggling with and dealing with. That would be my spin on it. Christine, what you think? I think to just to add on to what you guys have been saying, I think um, so, to Zeb's point, what's so interesting is that, again, it was almost two and a half years later where the slaves in Texas, where it was really enforced their freedom. And so if we use that as a parallel to today's time, we still see that justice has been delayed for black Americans. Um, and so I think as much as people are, you know, we see businesses having sales and people calling for this to be a day off. And I want to make note that we can't just see this as a day oh, as a freebie. This has to be a day of commemoration where we take the time to really be accountable for the sins um, that we have committed as a country and that we continue to commit as we think about delayed justice and what equality truly means. Because, you know, if we're thinking about the um, shirts that so many people are wearing, we see people have shirts that say Juneteenth free-ish since 1865 and that while we say free-ish, not that the individual person is not free in terms of their mind, but we are not free in terms of the justice system. We are not free in terms of equality that is supposed to be begotten to all American citizens. 
Yeah, I would agree with you. I don't think it's a holy day. I don't think it's a holiday at all. I think it's just a, a day of acknowledgement that this is a struggle in terms of uh, social justice that we've still been dealing with since uh, June 19th, 1865. The acknowledgement that the government was going to enforce basically the Emancipation Proclamation is a, an acknowledgement, but it certainly doesn't change the kinds of struggles since 1865, actually uh, since slavery, that we've been dealing with as a community. But but uh, our response to it is fascinating. The response, I, we, we had some conversations earlier about it and seeing how that, you know, people wanted to look at it like uh, the 4th of July. And if you had to balance the two events, how would you balance the two events when we talk about, because you know what uh, Frederick Douglass said about the 4th of July. He basically said it, it's not it's not our holiday. It's, it's, you know, it's white folks holiday. They are celebrating what they have captured and what they have held and what they are holding on to. Um, for the 4th of July, but it's certainly not the, a holiday for African-Americans. How do you all feel about that? I mean, you know, because, you know, people be wrapping themselves in, in the flag and shooting off fireworks and, you know, running around, you know, with sparklers and got hot dogs and hamburgers going on. You know, it's a big deal. So so how do you how do you see these two days differing? Uh, me personally, uh, I don't celebrate the 4th of July. Um, so I would just put that out there, me personally, but also I don't necessarily celebrate Juneteenth. I would have more interest in doing things around Juneteenth because it's talking about freedom within the United States itself. Even when we're talking about July 4th itself, it's a freedom from Europe, European uh, descent and things like that from a standpoint. But even to celebrate the 4th of July and to be inclusive and to take black out of the conversation, to even celebrate the 4th of July is derogatory towards Native Americans. And so we really wanna unpack this to even celebrate that itself. And so we wanna celebrate some type of independence for things that are going on in the United States. We need to figure out a way that we can conjugate our Native Americans and conjugate what's going on to our black bodies and souls and then come up with a new Independence Day. Mm. Mm. Now, I don't know, Byron, can you hear us? If you can, and you can respond. Give us your spin, give us your spin on Juneteenth. Well, I mean, Juneteenth, especially coming from Texas, is one of those, it's a very important day for black folks in Texas because that was uh, the day in, in 1865. That was the day that, you know, folks, in Texas and in the rest of the South got made sure they had their freedom holistically. I think um, for me, you know, jumping into the question about Juneteenth versus July 4th, um, I agree with Zeb. Like, I, I mean, ever since I came to some level of, of conscious knowledge of, of myself and of those days, like, I don't celebrate July 4th. Like, there's no reason to celebrate July 4th because uh, I think in the words of uh, Frederick Douglass, you know, what is July 4th to, to the Negro, right? Um, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a day of, of freedom and emancipation, right? But I think Juneteenth is, is that day. Um, I, think it's, I think it's memorial, it should be memorialized and celebrated because of the lives that were lost to gain that freedom, right? Like I think about all the black lives that were lost in order have that freedom those those folks deserve to be remembered uh, thoroughly well you know the general's name was general gordon granger 
And um, it is recorded that basically he went into Galveston, Texas, you know, trying to, you know, uh, suppress the resistance to and enforce the Emancipation Proclamation on the slaves that's, that were in, right. in the Gal area, Galveston. So, you know, we yeah, want, what we want to do is, my question is, is though, um, we need to understand clearly, and we want our, 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 our listenership to understand clearly what the situation was. Each of the Southern states were, were resisting Emancipation Proclamation. They weren't, they, they weren't allowing slaves to be free because Lincoln wrote that. And in fact, they had their own state militia, basically, that was enforcing slavery on a state level. And so if it was going to change, you actually had to have an enforcement done at a governmental level to make it change. So people were still being held in bondage after 1865. In fact, if we look at the history of it, we still can find blacks. I mean, you know, we can talk about Louis Farrakhan's uh, uh, the Cotton Picking South, the video that he did where he still found slaves in the 2000s, in 2010, you know, still still in slavery in Mississippi and in, in South Carolina and some of these southern states where people are held in economic bondage as sharecroppers on some of this land. And, and so that enforcement is something that is still very much a part of the struggle of African-American people today. So Juneteenth is a working holiday for us, as Christine was talking about. It's not, it's not a play holiday where we get to, you know, play with sparklers and, you know, like go, go, ooh, wow, there it is. This is a time where we have to continue to go to work to deal with the issue of social justice. How do you think it's going to be uh, uh, presented to and embraced by the African-American community today, though, folks. How do you think we're going to respond to this? Because Juneteenth is something that's been around for a while, but it's not been something that we have participated in to a great degree at all. Yeah. So, Doc, sorry. Go ahead. I'm oh, so, sorry. I thought I was still muted. So, Doc, um, when we're thinking about this, I think what's been interesting as we're seeing the protests in the streets and we're seeing um our community become more informed. I do think that it'll be celebrated at a greater extent. However, even if we go back to reflection of Frederick Douglass's piece about what is the 4th of July to the Negro, I also found so, find so many connections that can be made for Juneteenth for us today too, right? So in this piece, he talks about, you know, at essentially you're making a mockery of us when we you celebrate this day because we see all of these injustices and we see we still feel the pain of slavery we still we can go down the road and still see people being beaten and civil injustices um and we are continuously we hear you saying words but you're not adhering to them as they relate to us um and so your words really fall on deaf ears as it relates to the black community because we don't see that justice and that peace um and in some ways i think today I find myself needing to celebrate the fact that these slaves were able, finally were made known of the freedom allowed to have the freedom in some ways, right? But I still see as a black community that we have not yet got to that mark of equity. We have not got to that piece of social, piece of social or economic justice. And so there are still woes I feel like the community will face today. And so even as celebrating today, we're thinking, well, you know, how do we get to the freedoms that are supposedly given to us, right? Some people, when 
America, when white Americans celebrate the fourth, they celebrate this independence and this economic freedom and all of these things that were given to them. We still waiting. So how do you? Yeah, I mean, but I'm not sure it was given. I think they took it. I think they were pirates. You know, they 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 were the you know, hey, they were ahoy, my matey. You know, they were they were taking take it all and leave nothing back. You know, and so they were celebrating basically the stuff that they stole. That's what that's that's basically what they were celebrating. If you ask the Native American, and if you ask anybody that they were in contact to during that time, they the celebration is not about uh, a hard fought victory of what they won as much as it is. We took this and we celebrating that is ours, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and their resistance to the world in relationship to what they had stole, because that's what the Revolutionary War was all about. People were asking questions about how can you just arbitrarily take all of this land and keep it yourself? That's what we're talking about. This is tea party stuff, you know. And, so, and not, only, not only are you taking, but you then telling the narrative in the way that you needed to play out for then you to have the systems in place that you want. So it's not just the taking, right? And so when we even thinking about this, I think about it in the context of all of our laws or all of the things that we talk about, right? The civil rights came out in 1965. We're still talking about that, right? The ADA came out in 1990. The, the laws to it then come out to 2016 and 2010. And so what we are starting to see is that laws by itself doesn't do anything. And so it has to be laws. There has to come with a level of education. And then there has to be a level of uncomfortability to help change the heart because one of those things by itself does not help the other. Because we can have laws all day and we got laws right now, but how they enacted and how we interpret them in the court of law in our institutions, whether it's in higher ed, whether it's in our K through 12 system, it's all playing out. And so uh, for See, me, but if we're talking about Juneteenth, it's going to be really problematic for white folks to accept Juneteenth because Juneteenth says that there ought to be a reparation that there ought to be an addressing of the injustices that exist and so when we start looking at brothers and sisters in bondage when we start looking at people who are incarcerated when we look at the health care disparity the, the disparity economically the juneteenth raises questions about all of that because all of that are symptomatic in terms of keeping people still enslaved so we we're dealing with this this is 2021 folks this we are we are in the we're going into the second decade of the 21st century and we are still dealing with these very very primary very foundational issues because we we're we're caught up in a conflict of george floyd which we should be we're caught up in a conflict of all these other things but what we're not doing is we're not having conflict with our past and we keep trying to escape and outrun our past and our past is coming home to roost and until we turn around and stop walking forward and turn around and face our past so we can address june uh juneteenth in the way that you describe and we're going to keep running and right now we're running and we're afraid to face our past to be able to structurally and systematically change the things that you are articulating but if but but, but, but one thing but one thing i i, I take issue with is that are we are we willing and prepared to do what it takes to get reparations? Because, like you said, this is a a, a pirate country, right? Oh like, yeah, it, it takes what it that takes what it wants. So you think they're gonna freely give um, something without it being taken? See, they they're starting to become some level of reparations. There were 
a conversation about uh, land that was given, right? It was it was given in the area of South Carolina, right? If you, if you know your history, it was given to the folks down there um, in what we consider the Gullah Geechee area, right? And guess what? That land was then repatriated, as they say, um, by white folks after um, the Civil War was over. And that repatriation, right, of that of that land, you know, specifically um, was 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 taken because they had no way to protect it. So the question is not about whether we can get reparations. Right. The question, in my my opinion, is are we in a position to take what is owed? Well, I mean, I think we're in a position we, we can we can decide not to be under bondage any longer. I mean, we, we will have to take the economic hit on that, but we need to organize ourselves and, and, and strengthen ourselves in a way in which we, if we make a decision to decide to step from under bondage, which is, you know, is what Juneteenth is all about, then that means no more Cornell, no more VU, no more, you know, how do you stand on your own and can you stand on your own free and deal with the issues that you need to deal with every day to survive. I think I think that's very. I think you spot on with that. I think I think it's more than just about the reparations because obviously the reparations are not going to be something that people are going to really deal with. They, if you if you read Martin Delaney and you read uh, Bishop uh, Henry Turner, Bishop Henry Turner said in, in, in at the turn of the century, he said, "Y'all don't owe us uh, a, a million. Y'all owe us forty billion dollars." He was saying that. In, in 1897, he was saying that in 1897, he said, for the work that we didn't already did, you owe us at least 40 billion dollars, you know, in terms of, of startup dollars to do what we need to do. So the brother, you know, people had clarity in terms of what was needed. The question is, is if we step from under the bondage of a pirate, can you start? Can you survive? Can you can you can you stand up or is there resources? Is there things that we need to do? prior to having that kind of conversation. And is but, that a Juneteenth conversation? But I think it's a Juneteenth conversation. But what I'll say is we have to understand this. If somebody has their boot on your neck, right, we got to understand a couple of things. It's not just a fight. And I think this is what we're saying. It's not just a fight to get the boot off your neck. You got to know that when that boot is off your neck, you're going to have to fight some more. Because absolutely, they're going to want to subject, subject you again. And I think... It's that it's that conversation about no, it's a continuous fight. Like there's never going to be a time where we're not going to have to be in the in the battlegrounds of this conversation. Now, my question simply is, are we prepared for that? I I, I mean, it, it's hard to say. And I guess I would say, what what do you mean by prepared? Because at, at at one level, yeah, I think there's a level of preparedness, and then at a le another level, we're not prepared at all. At another level, I don't think Louis Farrakhan is prepared, right? I mean when they drop bombs on you like they did in 1921, I don't know if we're prepared to have airplanes and bombs to be able to fight what they got if the government wanted to come down that strong. And so are we prepared? Yes, on one hand, philosophically and things like that, but are we actually militarized in a way that we can protect? We're not there yet. But we need to have start having conversations like that to Byron's point for us to start to get on a trajectory where we can get there that has to start to be a part of the conversation i think one of the things i think about is even like you know malcolm x and fred hampton them they got nervous because we wanted to bear arms right 
people are protecting their property every day. We should protect ours too. If we don't start to think in that context, we don't start to think in that way. I think we're going to keep doing a disservice for generations to come. So, so let me, let me get this clear. If I understand it, are you saying that that's a way that we ought to be thinking, but that's not the way that we're thinking today. I don't think when people go into thinking about institutions, governing bodies, organizations, whatever, I don't think they go into it with a mindset of protection. How do I protect what I'm trying to do? I think we go into a mindset about how can we do it? How can we get resources? How we can we do this? But we don't have it set up where somebody's thinking about how do we do all that? And we got our other generals thinking about how do we protect this for? Well, I mean, you know what Juneteenth projects in terms of when we talk about Juneteenth, it projects the attitude that you're dealing with a thief and a murderer every day of the week. Every and, day of the week. And, and if and if you're not approaching the problem, knowing who that person is, knowing what who that thief is, who that murderer is, then your the solutions to your problems are going to be problematic you're not going to be able to solve a whole lot of problems if you don't deal with the understanding and the clarity of who you're dealing with if you so, don't so to your point though we right now i, I said it last show how many white people are going to go to the school department in valparaiso in valparaiso and say I want you to take the curriculum and teach my kids that this person that we keep celebrating on the 4th of July actually stole this land and enslaved these people. So then these young white bodies, girls and boys and whoever can grow up deconstructing this stuff. We can talk about all this stuff we want. We can uh, get a military to protect us all or on top of war until we tell some truth and start teaching our babies that are going to outlive us the truth. We're going to keep going in the same problems. What do you say about that, Christina? So, I, Sam, I would agree with you in the point of that we need to also be teaching generations to come so that they can help build this and so that this narrative, so there's a legacy, right? At the same point, I don't know, I, and this can be the pessimist in me, this can be that I'm starting to get frustrated in disbelief. I also think for us in the now, we as a community have to start building our own infrastructures into, as was talked about, doing the, the militarization of ourselves, right? Because so, and policing ourselves, because so many times we're waiting. And when we think, even if we go to the comparison of July 4th, we realize that people, you know, essentially America said, hey, you know, we can't be under, we feel like in this subjugative capacity, we can never prosper. And the same way I feel like as people of color, as minorities, we continuously are trying to prosper in a European focused society who they don't want to give us this power because then that means, oh, I'm the mindset is, oh, I'm losing something. And so there's so many fake allies and false allies. And so I guess I'm at that point where we ourselves have to be like, hey, we're building this. This is this is your charge. Your charge is to protect. You're doing this. We're doing that. We're building our own. And if that means we have to walk away from every institution you have to build our own, then that's what we have to do. Because so often we make enough money. Like I think I, I was talking to Doc earlier. I'm amazed at the Juneteenth sales um, by these Fortune 500 companies and these corporate businesses who could at the end of the day, it's about making money. So anything that we have, it's all anything 
regarding to our community is just seen as a way to profit. You know, it amazes me that I can't turn on the TV and not see a commercial that has hip hop or R&B, you know, some type of sentiment in it. Yet at the same time, you love our culture. You love to prosper even off of our suffering. But you don't want to bring that in terms of institutions to help build our community. So for me, I just feel like we're not we're not buying at your June team sales. We're not giving it to your institutions. We finna build our own. I think that's an important attitude to have. But can you survive that? In other words, if we if we take that position, and I think that's a position that we ought to eventually find ourselves at. But is that realistic? Is that is that a realistic posture to take in terms of dealing with some of this stuff? Because uh, economically, economically, politically, as you have said, Zeb, we're not we're not there yet. And and when we were there, people start dropping bombs. <laughs> people start shooting at you when you get there. In fact, if you if you if, if, as we talk about Juneteenth as a way of furthering the emancipation of African-American people, that becomes volatile for folks and provocative for folks, even though Frederick Douglass said, just leave us alone. That's that's what Fred, Frederick Douglass said. He said, look, he said, I don't he said, I'm not I'm not asking you all to give us anything. I'm not even asking you all to join us to do anything. Just leave us alone. But but I, I, I get that. And I think I think we do have to do some preparation for ourselves to get there. And I think it takes it takes a little time to build, but I think part of that building is also going to come from us starting. Like we have to remember our sacraments. We have to remember these symbols that are informing why we need to continuously build and make sure un folks understand that. And these symbols, these structures, like just like a day, like a Juneteenth, reminds us of that. But I I will say this, like I, I and I've said it before, right? I'm I, I'm not leaving this space without my check. Like, so I had to just Okay, I hear that. I hear that. Even here without the check. My people didn't put in too much work for us not to leave this place with a check. I'm not I'm not saying that I'm not saying that I have to stay here that I should that I should that I I'm, I mean I'm not gonna fight uh every single day for the insane possibility that you're gonna re enslave me again. I'm gonna fight to maintain my freedom, but when somebody says something like leave, I'm like, hey. Guess what? Not without my check. You owe me for the land that I should have and for the work that was done by the, by the people. Oh, I agree. I think that's 100 percent. I think you saw you ought to get what's owed to you. But then if that that's what Juneteenth does, that's what makes it so provocative. When you talk about, you know, we're going to acknowledge Juneteenth is that we're acknowledging those restraints that were put on us that caused the enslavement. And so we're saying we don't want we're, we're free from that. This is the direction that we want to go into. Zebediah, I see you want to get in. And not only uh, we're not leaving without our check, you leave and you don't get to leave with a check, European, right? <laughs> right? Like that, that's, that's the next level to it. And, and not only that, we're not going to leave because we built what you're living in. And so the natives that are our brothers and sisters probably don't want us to go nowhere, no way. They just want the pilgrims to leave, right? And so if we're going to go there, that's part of it. What I also want to be clear on when I say that we're not ready for this, we have the resources to do this. We just need to organize ourselves in a way to get it done. We definitely have the resources. We just got to organize ourselves. So I don't want to make it seem like we can't get it done because we definitely got the resources. It, the economic statistics in terms of how much African-Americans spend per year, the, per, the, the, the yearly gross national product, 
of African-Americans say that we have more than enough to get started on some of this, but we don't have the will. We don't have the the uh, uh, information, if you will, so that we get that done. How do we get to there? I mean, you know, what's the beginning of having these kinds of conversations in a serious way to get people to take that to the next level, you think? I just want to pass this to Christina, really, because I think she started to dive into it a little bit when she started to talk about operating in the European world. And I think sometimes we get confused of operating in this European world. And so we're not galvanizing because we're operating in the European structure. And so I think there's times where even certain people that look like us that have the means to actually put some stuff together, still not doing it because they operated from that structure, still connected to the European framework. And I think that's part of why we haven't galvanized. And if we galvanize more for the blackness and not try to be more assimilated to the whiteness, I think we can clear some of that up. But sorry for tossing it to you, Christina, but I feel like you was alluding to some of it early. No, yeah, Zeb, you're exactly right. Um, and I think in some ways you help kind of flush out and worry some of the things that I'm thinking, right? So one of these things is we are so built under this, I'm gonna, you know, this is how I see my white counterparts do it and or I need to get the approval of more importantly, I think is I need to get the approval of my white counterpart to do something or to be feel like I'm being successful. And we do that so much that we stop our own growth. So we often talk about, you know, the lack of black history in our education system and that in and of itself is a problem. But what bothers me when people say that in that same breath is so why are we then not educating our our kids? Why are we then not going into our schools? Why are we not building programs and where we are taking time to build community and network so that they know how to do these things? You know, we spend so much time telling students of color, you need to learn this, you need to learn this like your white counterpart so you can fit into their world. Well, at the end of the day, no matter what I do, no matter what I learn, I'm not going to fit in their world because their world was not created for me. They do not want me to fit into their world. And so I then need to educate my nieces and nephews and my children and even our elders who may have not had that opportunity, who have grown complacent in a world where they feel like this is just what life has to be. So this is how we build our own economic wealth. These are the principles. This is our heritage. This is what we know this is the knowledge that I can pass down to you so that we can then build. I think we have a responsibility in the black communities as those individuals who have been educated, who have had the opportunity to go to college, to go to schools, to then pass down that knowledge so we build within ourselves. Because so many times too, I'm gonna call it out on Juneteenth too, some black people need to free themselves from themselves and their own elitist classist mentality. Oh, I hear you. And, and they, blackness need to show up not just on Juneteenth. They need to show up 365 days. Yes, yes, Zeb. Because baby, no matter when I walk out the door, whether I'm going to Valpo. All right. <laughs> Where well, you're listening to WVLP 103.1 on your FM dial. This is Morning Black, building leaders in cultural knowledge, and we are talking about Juneteenth and what. Juneteenth means to us and to communities of color, specifically the African-American community. All right, getting back, we took the radio break. And so thank you for that, uh, Zebediah. But I'm gonna get get a little more in, I want you to say a little bit more about um, being Juneteenth on Juneteenth day and then going back to being Uncle Tom and Uncle, uh, uh, and Sally Sue on on Monday. So uh, how's that work? I mean, you know, since we are connected to these systems 
of oppression, these systems where people are, are dealing with folks. How do we uh, keep our identity intact while we are trying to navigate this provocative uh, and insightful kind of perspective? You know, I mean, how do we how do we keep our our blackness? How do we keep our Africa in the midst of all this kind of stuff? Are we are we doomed to have to strip ourselves of our identity in order to survive, and then just catch Juneteenth on the weekends? What 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 what's the deal? I think in our current landscape, we got to be super super present. I know me and Byron was having this conversation the other day about how do we navigate the waters, how do we show up, and all that kind of stuff is. One of the main things, and I'll let Christina jump in here, and then I'll toss it to Brian, and I'll hop back in here. But more, most importantly, we got to be present during this time. We cannot fail to not show up in spaces. And even if you're in work, you need to show up in that workspace. I'll be the first to admit, with the role that I play, I'm going to be in token roles. That don't mean I have to be tokenish. And we just got to cut the conversation right there and be real with it. And we got to speak up. And our blackness can't be black right now because we're on morning black and then tomorrow not be or on Monday and not be. But go ahead, Christina, go ahead and hop in there. Yes, yeah, um, I think you, you said it perfectly right. I can't decide this black identity of mine is something that I carry and I'm very proud of. And so this idea that I see so many people in workplaces and it's almost as we actually kind of find the word, but we actually teach our children that this is how you, that they constantly need to shift, right? And that you'll only be successful if you are shifting. And so when you get in front of this room full of white people, you need to raise your voice up a, a couple of octaves and um, you need to raise your voice up a couple of octaves and you need to make sure that you're not seeming as too aggressive and you need to dress a certain way. And so even to the point of things as simple as I have family members who at times will say, so you wear your natural hair to work? I do, because that's my hair. I'm sorry that I'm, I'm not going to flat on it to make other people feel more comfortable. Um, and so, and then showing up in those spaces of not, when they, there are direct things that are said in our board meetings, that are said in meetings that we hold in higher education because we are in, in these positions that, that work directly counter to the betterment of our students, to black faculty and staff. But so many times people don't want to speak up because you don't want to be that angry black person or you don't want to you know, draw attention to yourself. Well, at the end of the day, if we being honest, attention on us anyway. When I walk in the room and I'm the only black person there, I know that y'all see I'm the only black person there. I'm not foolish. You can see it. And I don't fall for the, oh, I don't see color. Well, baby, when I walk in here, you know that I'm black. So at the, so I'm going to tell you what needs to, I'm the only black person at the table. I'm going to say what needs to be said for my people because you're not going to act like we don't exist. You've built so many institutions on their backs, right? So you're not going to continue to allow me to help you stand on my back. Yeah, I, I think I, I agree. I agree with all that. I, I have to agree with all that. I think we have to show up, but how we show up is important, right? Because one of the things I think we have to consistently do is to normalize um, our presence in this space, right? By saying, no, I'm here. Like, you got to get used to it, right? You have to get, I'm, I'm going to be here, right? For the foreseeable future, I'm going to be here. Unless, like I said, unless... I, this world is big and, and black folks encounter all of it. So, I mean, I can find some other places to be, but um, I can't, I can't leave without my check. And so um, 
I'll keep emphasizing that I can't leave without my check. So, uh, I mean, if, if they come and, and, you know, they write my, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, per individual, I would say it's probably like 1.5 million, um, per, uh, descendant. So, I mean, I'll, you write my check, I, I, you know, I, I might have to consider going. And then, you know, you can do what you want to, but I just got to have my check first. Um, I think the other way we start to build these constructs and we start to build this thing is to be intentional about our time together. Because one of the things that happens in these spaces is you lose your identity when you're not spending time with people that reflect your identity. And so without that without that reflection of identity you start to lose it you start to lose you start to lose your mind you start to feel like you're crazy like you like you're not putting things together the reason you start to feel that way is because people aren't reflecting back to you who you are right um and it goes back to the the construct of ubuntu right i like i am because we are right it goes back to that truth that is in that that very small but powerful statement I, I I have to confess I I struggle in some of them spaces because you know I, you know I get frustrated in some of those spaces and and you know people go off on tangents and people start talking about their own interests inside those spaces and very difficult for me to maintain um, focus you know in in some of those I know we get, need to be there I know we need to be present but. I need to hear from you all. How do you all keep from going off? Because, you know, I, I, I'd be ready to throw my water bottle across the room and, and pick up the chair and, you know, just storm out sometimes. I mean, you know, even on Zoom. I mean, even on Zoom, it, it, it gets crazy sometimes in terms of some of these spaces, man. I mean, in terms of how people uh, perceive you to be and how you have to perceive to be. And some of the just obvious um, rejection of identity that you hear people's conversation you know, be about, and you're like, what the hell? You know, did did that person just say that? What are we doing? I mean, you know, why are we here? You know, so how do you all handle that? I mean, you know, what, is, what do you do in, in the now, in the present to, to maintain focus and, and maintain uh, integrity inside some of these spaces? I can't say I got the exact answer, but I think Byron alluded to it a little bit is we got to make sure we be in space with people that look like us, even outside of that space when we're in that space with people that don't look like us. But one of the things I think we got to do is call a cat a cat, right? Like part of the time, part of the problem is, is when we in dialogue, sometimes when you look like us and people might say a derogatory racist statement and most of the time people that look like us won't speak up. And what they will do is try to address the message that is trying to be seen at the topic at hand versus saying no. Right. So if a white man is talking to me and they say, hey, boy, we need to do da 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 da. Instead of worried about da 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 da, I need to stop in the tracks and say, you're not going to call me a boy. Right. You know, that's derogatory. You know, that's disrespect. We need to stop it in the tracks and we need to stop playing along with things that we don't agree with. And if we don't stop doing that, we are allowing that we are perpetuating that behavior. Right. It's like it's like your spouse. Right. When you bring around your family, your family only going to do to your spouse what they see you doing. Right. You know, and so we got to be mindful how we show up in these spaces. And I think also part of the problem is before we get into that larger room, 
we got to know who we are. If I cowtail, if I'm a docile black until and I'm coming up the ranks and I didn't speak up coming up the ranks, I can't look at that VP all of a sudden and think that VP is going to speak up. They didn't do that coming up the ranks. We got to check that in the door. I was on a call with some ladies of color the other day and it was a 23 year old on there. It's a Latina and she's navigating good and she's about to go to graduate school. And she said, what advice do I have for you? I said, don't change who you are. and Don't cowtail trying to make it to the top because all the things that you're talking about, you want to do at 23. If you get, if you change who you are in Caltel, when you get to 35, you can't do those things because that fight is out of you. Kind of like Byron mm. talking about you losing your center of gravity. You lose your center of gravity. Well, folks, I think we have a few minutes left. I think maybe we might have maybe 10 minutes or so left. Let's look at our time. I'm not sure. Uh, but let, let's see how we want to evolve this into a, a further discussion about Juneteenth. How does this morph into uh, a strategy in terms of Juneteenth? So that's the first thing I think if we're thinking about a strategy, because just from this latter part of this conversation is I think that last week Byron talked about building a community. I also think that as a black community, we need to start working about how do we help people strengthen their identity? I'm so amazed at how many people of color, black people in particular, have now given into this European narrative and internalized so many of these stereotypes and stigmas in ways, even not realizing that they've done it, that that's how they operate in the world. And so then they are not able to be a force to bring forth change or to create strengthened infrastructures and because they don't know who they are. So I'm up, I'll just give a quick example. I'm always amazed um, when people from Gary feel the need to say, you know, I'm from Geary, but I went to this private school, Andrean or whatever, where my parents paid money. Because you need to, you feel the need to create a, you know, a difference between you and these other black folks from Geary, so that you feel feel that you're worthy to be in this space. What's hmm. And people don't recognize that they do it because it's become so much of their learned behavior to then somehow make themselves feel like they deserve to be here to perpetuate this elitist classist idea. No, baby, you're from Geary. I'm from Geary. Simple as that. I'm a black woman from Geary. Why? Because that's who I am. That's my identity. And I'm proud of that identity. And whether you approve of it or not, that's your issue, not mine. But I'm going to be who I am. Okay, that kind of alludes to what, what Zebediah was talking about. And if if you, you, you can't be timid and then decide to fight that fight 10 years or 15 years later, you're not going to have the 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 understanding, you're not gonna have the experience of fighting that fight if you don't raise those issues while you're young, while you're there. So you gotta be able to do that. And, um, and also not being centered to who you are. So even if you're raising those issues, right? It's not just about that, but a lot of people in these spaces, cause we work in higher ed, that's what we do, right? A lot of people in these spaces, to Christina's point, have a lack of identity. And so their degree in the school they went to become their identity. And then yeah. once your degree in the school you come from is still not enough in this space, even if you went to this elitist institution, then all you have is your black identity. If you ran from your black identity to heighten these credentials that you have, that's a part of you, but not your identity, then you lost in those circles. And that's the conversation that we not have. I love the fact that I come from this small institution of Calumet College of St. Joseph. My undergrad is small. I'll get my doctorate at a place that still has 
its own institutional problems, but it's not at an elite institution where I can only study what they're going to tell me. All that is understanding the construct that we in. And I love sitting at the table now at an Ivy League school with no Ivy League degrees because I didn't grow up that way. So this is part of what we need to be teaching in terms of the Juneteenth experience then. This, this, so this, this covers more than just the history of what's taking place and what we need to be projecting into the future of our behaviors. We need to be talking about how we interact with each other on a day-to-day -day basis in order to get this done. There's some, there's some very pointed behavior, psychological, philosophical, even spiritual kinds of issues that need to be taken into account in order to really experience and understand this whole notion of Juneteenth, coming from from bond bondsmen and bondswomen to to freedom, is what we're talking about. And and Doc, I, I would just add this, right? Like I think Juneteenth, the thing that we have to get used to doing and making sure we replicate, are the values we want to see moving forward from the Black community. We have okay. to have the consistent set of values at the top of that list of values has to be the black community first not only but the black community first right we have to be a black first centric group of people the reason being is that we need to make sure that we're uplifting those that that, that look like us those that have our experience regardless of what it is Right. I, I mean, yeah, I think there are, there are black people in the inner cities or black people in the burbs or black people that come from every single walk of life. I I can I think we can make it work with anybody in any of those spaces. Right. Like you, you don't you don't have to be from Oak Cliff to be considered black. Right. Like you, you might be from Sunnyvale. You still black, especially if you adhere to the values. But, right? you know, you you know, I mean, we just was in a meeting where where people were resisting that. You know, folks resist that. I mean, I mean, I'm talking about black folk resist. I, I agree with that concept. But, but how do you deal with the resistance of that concept? The reason you deal, you can't deal with the resistance of the concept because the values aren't laid out. I'll give you an example. I think Christina, I think Doc, I think Byron and myself all had a set of values that match up that allows us to get in space and operate the, the way that we do. Even though we know those values, those values aren't written down. And for the people that come, don't come from the consciousness of the place that we come from, if we don't put these values in front of them, they don't know what to obtain to stay communal. And so that's part of what the struggle is. And I hope that's a little bit of what Byron is saying is if we don't portray what those values are starting on the chocolate side of town, it's hard for whatever side of town you might be on, whether you're in the chocolate white or whatever, even if you chocolate to identify with values you might not be able to connect to because it's nowhere that is present to go get it. So our and first job is education? Yeah, consistent, consistent education, right? Like, I think it's consistent education. I think one of the things that we have to get back to doing is spending time engulfing our children, nieces, nephews, in the effective stories that they need to carry with them to understand and undergird their identity. We got to get back to sitting around the 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 the, the well, in the South, sitting on the porch and, and talking and telling stories, right? We got to get back to some of that oral tradition so that we can then go and continue to affirm through a written tradition what is necessary to move us forward. I think we have to have these sacred days like Juneteenth to say, no, we're doing Juneteenth and we're going to keep Juneteenth because this is what we grew up valuing. 
I, I grew up seeing Dream Team like almost my entire life. It was just it was just part of it. I didn't know, I didn't learn it in school, but I didn't know that other black people didn't know about it. Because okay. because it was just it was just there, right? Like so I I didn't know those things that that were that were so off like that, you know? And I think that's time and community, that's location, that's that's proximity to things that matter. That's making sure you're in these spaces, right? Um, I think we we have a due diligence and a duty to to do that. It's it's similar too, but not like um, Watch Night. Watch Night is it has an interesting history as well, and it is not just in terms of a spiritual thing. It's not just sitting up in church, you know, waiting on the new year to turn in. There 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 are implications, and we'll talk about that another time. We we have to look at the not Watch Night services and what that meant, you know, in in the African American community. Watching and, and, and waiting for the year to flip, so that the Emancipation Proclamation will come into play. But we'll we'll talk about that. Go, Zeb. Go ahead. I, I was just gonna say to Byron, he alluded to a little bit about our nieces and nephews and getting that written tradition. I think we need to get a black professional written tradition, right? And I, sometimes I ask Byron this, and sometimes I ask you and Christina this: is what is it about us that made us be able to come together and do this work? And what values and principles are we standing on that we can make sure we write that? When you show up in this workspace, in this black professional workspace, there's some value and code and conduct that is at play too. No difference than our everyday life. And I think sometimes people sometimes try to uh, leave their blackness at the threshold of their door. And then when they walk through the threshold of their company, they try to act like their blackness ain't with them. And I think we need a code of conduct and values in our workspaces as well. Because the black professional, the middle class blackness sometimes hurt us as well if we lose sight. Christine, what you think about that? Should we have a code of conduct that we should act as black professionals? I think we could call it code of conduct but or code of values, but I would agree because I think we've all agreed upon the fact that we realize that there are people that might look like us, um, but refuse to hold that same identity or don't know how to bring that identity into their workspace. And so not only does it help to, hurt, harm the communities that we're trying to build and the infrastructures we're trying to build, but especially in higher ed, it hurts our students because what you are telling them is that in order to be successful in this world, you have to do a certain thing. You have to look a certain way. You can't be these identities, this value that you may have spent your life learning. You can't do that. Um, and so like Byron talked about, so many of us have learned on the porches or around the kitchen table, these different identities, these values, we've heard these stories, and yet you get to certain spaces, you're told that that's not acceptable. And if we are okay with letting people think it's okay to just wash, whitewash it and wash that away, then we lose who we are and we lose our strength. Well, I agree with that. But I mean, the question becomes is, you know, how do we retain that strength? You know, how do we, you know, how do we stay reconstituted? You know, and if we, and if we're going to set a new code of behavior, how do we get, how do we enforce it? You know, well, the, the first how do we enforce it? The first code of behavior is can't be trying to get closer, assimilate more to whiteness, uh, especially if we're not in an all black space. I think even when we come together as minority support groups and all these things, some people agenda is how do I utilize this to get me closer to whiteness and position, not necessarily positionality of the blackness as a whole. And so I think it was either Byron or Christina, it might've been you talking about, we lose self-interest in the whole and then we go for self-interest. 
And so um, that's why I want to be mindful of that. Um, so I see that you said that we got two minutes. I'm going to go ahead and stop talking. And when we'll just break it up, everybody get 25 seconds or something to close us out. Take 30. Take 30 seconds. Come on. we can. You can do it in 30 seconds. Come on, folks. Byron, are you there? We'll start with Christine. I think ultimately what everyone has said has been powerful is truthful. At the end of the day, though, one thing that we have to do is so what is the next step for us in terms of making this code, right? What is the next step in terms of making sure that these spaces continue to exist? Um, because we have this shared knowledge and this identity, but but I do believe that it's going to be hard to get people on the bandwagon. But and what do you do with those black people who are just like, well, I don't want to be a part of that. I I don't want to have identity. I, my goal is to my goal is to assimilate. Zeb, mm. I'll hop in real quick. I think that's a great question. What do you do with those people? Uh, you let the awakening happen. Uh, because it's going to happen at some point in time in their life. And they're going to realize whether it's the degrees, whether it's the neighborhood, whether it's the sport you play, whether it's where you work, you still, to some people, in their eyes, is less than and devalued. And so I think for Juneteenth, we got to start valuing ourselves by teaching our own community. And at the same time, when we have the opportunity, we got to call a cat a cat so we don't start letting cats produce muffins in ovens. Uh, Byron? Yeah, I mean, I think, yes, I think I think we have to follow the uh, law of, okay, part of my value is uh, the black community first. And um, I think in communities, in all, all communities, you have to remember that, that there are babies and fools. And so I think it's important that uh, while, while we know who's in our community, we need to know who they are in our community and where they are in our community. And so we work with the people that uh, have the skills and the heart and the consciousness to work. Uh, the babies, we, we try to infuse them with knowledge and allow them to grow and give them space and time to grow. And the fools, you know, um, in every community, you have to find a space to uh, contain the foolish and a way to contain the foolish. But I think we will always be judged by how uh, we treat or mistreat the foolish. And so one of the things I would say that we have to do is uh, we have to do no harm to the foolish, but put them in a space where they won't um, harm us. Um, wow. And so I think it's 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 incumbent on us that can see the whole picture to make sure that we're directing the whole picture and not just the individuals that we want to be around and can be around and can stomach and can deal with. We're responsible for the whole community. Now, I know it may not be uh, your fault that we're in the situation we're in. It may not be your fault that we're existing in the spaces that we're in and having to navigate the way we have to navigate. But I guarantee you, every single black person in the black community is now your responsibility. It's not your fault that we're where we are, but it is now your responsibility to make sure that we push for collective uplift for all in the community. I think that's a great start. I think uh, what we talked about last week in terms of a national black uh, political agenda is important. And just I would echo three things, voter education and voter registration, wealth transfer and attention to the disparities that we see within our communities are good places to start as we begin to look at 
some of the issues that are impacting us. That's what we ought to do is begin to set and focus this Juneteenth uh, opportunity to begin to address some of the concerns that we've raised here today. Thank you all for being a part of a, a Juneteenth uh, program. And I hope that this will be something that we can continue to build upon as we continue our conversations about building leaders in cultural knowledge in the African American community. Until next time, morning, black.